0: This is a hard psalm. Uh, It's not a happy psalm. It is um, a psalm of despair, of anguish, of depression. It's a psalm of a person who wakes up in the middle of the night or a person who could never get to sleep because of all their worries. They feel alone, they feel deserted, they feel betrayed, they don't feel like they have a friend in the world, and they experience God as absent, not present. Furthermore, they blame God for all that's wrong in their life. It's a psalm that we might have prayed because at more than one time in our lives, we have probably said, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why did you cause the death of my loved one? God, why did you take my job away? That's this psalm. It's a psalm that is up all night, it doubts God's love, it doubts God's care, it doubts if its life is worth living. Some people say this psalm should not be in the Bible, that it's too raw, that it isn't about faith. That despair doesn't belong in the Bible. Only hope belongs in the Bible. As for me, I like this psalm. It says there is room in faith for people like this. And I have been like this. I have felt God's absence. I have wondered what is happening to me and I have not known which way to turn it says there is room in faith for people with their doubts the word today is doubt what's more common for you doubt or certainty now I'm not talking about doubt as an excuse where some people just use doubt as a reason not to do anything. I'm talking about doubt in terms of did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? I just don't know. What now? Which way should I go? What road should I take? I just don't know. I'm talking about the doubt where we want certainty that we're doing the right thing, that we're taking the right course of action. I want that sureness. I don't want any gray. I don't want any ambiguity. You know? That's the doubt I'm talking about. It seems to me that we are kind of in this conflict between uncertainty and certainty. That a lot of things that we thought were so certain in our lives are not anymore. I mean, when I was brought up, there were only male and female There was only masculine and feminine. Now there's LGBTQI. And we want that binary certainty rather than uncertainty. We want that certainty in our country where things were so much simpler. We want that certainty in the United Methodist Church, where things were so much simpler. But now we have this uncertainty. In the play Doubt, one of the characters says, we have this desire for shared certainty. Yeah, we do. I mean, if we're certain, we can sleep at night. You know, I'm not up all night worrying about things. With this view, can doubt and faith coexist? Well, no, because they're seen as opposites. If I'm uncertain, I don't have faith. We have to be certain of our doctrines. Certain of our creeds. Certain of who's in and who's out. We have to have all the answers and none of the questions. I mean, what kind of minister would I be if I didn't have all the answers when you asked me something? I just want to bear in mind that just because somebody is certain doesn't mean they're right just because somebody's certain doesn't mean they know what's going on we have doubts we have doubts about God don't we we have doubts about why things happen the way they do we have doubts when we experience God as absence rather than presence We have doubts about Jesus. Did he really rise from the dead? Did he really do those miracles? We have doubts about the Holy Spirit. never seems to talk to me. There's a story, you've probably heard it, of a young person who had doubts about God and went to the minister, and the minister said, Well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. Because I don't believe in that God either. I believe doubt and faith can coexist. Frederick Buechner says that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps it moving and alive. Doubts can be seen as wrestling with God. And in Psalm 88, the person's wrestling with God. Wrestling is this hands-on activity. It's where we draw near to the other opponent who is sometimes an opponent. I take these classes in the Program 60 program at Ohio State. And I take one course a semester. And, um, you know, at some point in every lecture, regardless of the field, whether it's history or women's study or, or computer sciences, the professor will say, does anybody have any questions? And they never do. I think, how did they grasp all this stuff? I'm not. How do they know all this stuff so clearly? Not once in computer sciences did a student ask a question in response to Excel spreadsheets or PowerPoint or anything like that. Now in the history course I'm taking this semester, the professor will ask the question, does anybody have any questions? And usually a student eventually will raise her hand and say, Yeah, I I wonder about this. And it's amazing to me when the student professes her doubts and has questions, there's kind of an immediate bonding between the professor and the student. And it seems to me that in these courses, It's the doubts that bring them together. Not the certainties, but the doubts. Or not the pretended certainty, but the real doubts that bring the student and the teacher together. In Psalm 88, it's the doubt that's going to bring this person closer to God. They're not spouting doctrine. They're not spouting creed. They are talking about what is really going on in their life. And they are clinging to God, and it's an act of faith for them to keep talking in spite of God's not answering. Doubt is this act of showing who we really are. It's not our false self and who we pretend to be. And we could never connect if we just pretend to be something that we're not. It's only when we show our authentic self that we connect with each other. And too often in churches, we just show our false self because we don't want people to think we're not certain. Doubt is questioning. Our old ideas. It's questioning our outmoded concepts of God. It's challenging what the church should be. And it's rethinking how we read the Bible. Peter went through this in Acts, he was up on the roof praying and that vision came down with all the food and the voice from heaven said take up and eat this food and peter said i'm not going to eat it i was taught in sunday school i was taught by my mom not to eat this food it's unclean and the voice from heaven said don't call unclean what i'm calling clean take up and eat and peter realized that god was calling him to take the gospel to the outsiders those who didn't belong so that they would belong. And when he's challenged by that, he says, who am I to hinder God? Sometimes it's the death of the old ways, the doubt in the old ways that can bring life in a new way to our faith. Sometimes people say to me, you're destroying my faith by reading the Bible this way. And I say, yeah, I am, because it's time we started reading the Bible as adults and not as fifth graders. Susan and I um, like to go to fish fries. So we look forward to Lent, fish fry every Friday night at some Catholic church. The first uh, Friday, Susan couldn't go with me and this was the um, right after the St. Louis debacle. And um, so I went to a, a church by myself. I, we like going to French Fries. I'll just tell you now, St. Catherine's, I think, in Bexley has the best, uh, best bargain for your dollar. Um, <laughs> I really like the baked potato option to French Fries that St. Patrick's has. And um, Immaculate Conception has really good, baked fish. A little high priced, but it's good. So I went alone to this church, and um, this guy came up, and he said, "Um, can I sit with you? And I said, sure. And he said, "Um, which mass do you go to? And I said, oh, I, I don't attend here. And he said, oh, okay. And then he assumed I went to another Catholic church. And we talked about why we were batching it that night and what our spouses were doing. And then a a, a third person joined us, Mary from Cleveland, who was in town for the audiology conference. Um, I hadn't heard about it, but... um, (laughs) That that is a good show. That is is good. That is is good, eh? Chris interrupted my sermon at Morning Blend to ask that question. I hadn't heard, and I thought, nope, Chris isn't going to get it this time. And um, she had Ubered to this church uh, to to go to the fish fry. And... um, she assumed I was Catholic and that I went to this church. And so she and this other man got to talking about their churches. Then they got on to the crisis in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. And they were quite clear in their disappointment um, with what's going on and that the Catholic Church really needed to clean up its acts, and couldn't the Pope and the bishops get this cleaned up. And I said to the woman, "Um, Mary, why do you stay? Why do you stay in the Catholic Church? Why do you put up with it? And she said, because it's where I learned to love Jesus. And it's my home. And I'm not going to leave my home. Mary soon left and went to the stations of the cross that they have in all these churches on Friday night. So it was just me and the other man again. And we talked a little bit, and I said to him, well, we've been together about 40 minutes, and it's about time I came clean. I said, I'm not, I'm not even Catholic. Um, I'm a Methodist minister. <laughs> and he said to me, well, your church has been in the news too, hasn't it? <laughs> and, and he kind of felt this relief, I think. You know? <laughs> it's not just the Catholics. You know? And he said, well, tell me, where do you stand? On inclusion of gays and their ordination and gay marriage. And I s- told him that I was fine with it. And he said, why? And I told him that story about Peter and what's clean and unclean and who are we to hinder what God has called clean and how God has gifted more than straights with the Holy Spirit. And he said, "Hmm, You've really given me something to think about. And I thought, Man, I hope I've raised the doubts so that his faith can be reborn in a new and adult way. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. when we go on a mission trip, I tell the group to remember two things. One is, if you ask me any question, my answer will be, I don't know. What are we having for supper? I don't know. Because I don't know <laughs> what the Mexicans are going to do. Sometimes I think they're not sure. Yeah. When are we going to Temple Aliyah? I don't know. When's church? I don't know. And so the group falls into this Lack of certainty, where then I say to them, remember, we have to be flexible. Doubt is the faith that trusts. Our faith admits the doubts and trusts. It doesn't have all the evidence, it doesn't have all the certainty but it trusts and it places its life in God's hands and can move into the future because it knows that it is with God. Certainty doesn't have to place itself in God's hands. It doesn't really need God because it knows. But faith that has doubt trusts God and can move into the future. We've got to learn in our country to live with uncertainty. We've got to learn in the Methodist Church to live with uncertainty. Says that in the play Doubt, and it's true. We need to learn to live with uncertainty, otherwise, we're stagnant and we're paralyzed and we're not trusting God. It is doubt that will lead us into God's arms and keep us alive and moving. May it be so. Amen. So I have this prayer of doubt in your bulletin that I'd like for us to read together by Thomas Merton. Let us pray. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will lead, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so but I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. You will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.